0: Welcome into a brand new edition of Believe in Hills Hoops podcast presented by Believe uh, Podcast Networks. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by the Tar Hill Tribune's R.L. Bynum, giving you a fresh episode every single week during the Tar Hills basketball season. Tough loss for the Hills last night on the road versus Georgia Tech. 75, or excuse me, 74-73. Uh, pretty thrilling game, especially if you're a Yellow Jacket fan. Um, but we'll get into that. Of course, it's rivalry week now. Officially, now that game is over. Um, if you are a true part of this UNC-Duke rivalry, you you know that rivalry week does not officially begin until either UNC or Duke plays their final game before the Carolina-Duke game, and that was us last night in Georgia Tech. So we are officially in rivalry week now. So uh, everybody, pull out your memes and jokes and everything else, and uh, we'll, we'll bring the boys down from Durham over to the Dean Dome. Um, joining us tonight, uh, we're very happy to have uh, Pete Tilcutt with us. Uh, he he was uh, on the Tar Heels from nineteen what was it nineteen eighty seven to ninety one. Did I get that right, Pete?
1: Yeah, I arrived in 86, but I registered that first year. So 87-91.
0: 87-91. So playing under Dean Smith, actually played with current head coach Hubert Davis. So we'll talk to him a little bit about Hubert, um, what he knows from from uh, uh, their college careers, anything that he can actually reveal on the air. Um, <laughs> we'll get into some of that, too. And then just some of our uh, thoughts of the upcoming UNC-Duke game. But, guys, let's just get into what happened last night. Um Initial thoughts. Uh, Let's start off with you, Pete, because you were actually calling this game for the the Tar Heels Radio Network uh, with Jones Angel. And um, what did you think watching it from court side? Did did you feel like it was so much Georgia Tech won that game or Carolina lost it?
1: You know, first of all, you know, there was a lot of talk before the game about that being a trap game. Um, I was out there kind of talking about how with this veteran (laughs) team that would not happen and we would be ready to play. And it didn't feel like we weren't ready. It just felt like we had, uh, uh, the first time this year, multiple players play pretty poorly, uh, shoot poorly, defend poorly. Uh, we didn't have any really consistent outside shooting. Even RJ, who, who did his normal damage, was a little bit below uh, his shooting percentage. Uh, I just didn't think we, we brought enough uh, uh, what we needed last night on an away court. We gave them life in that first half. Once we gave them that life, they, they started playing really well, and we just – uh, we I, I wouldn't say we gave it away, but we didn't really deserve that victory to, with the way we played last night.
0: That's kind of what I left the game with, too. Like, we, even if RJ's layup had gone in and they didn't score one back the other way, I kind of would have, of course, I would have been like, oh, yeah, we won. But deep down, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if we we're supposed to win that one. I think we stole that one. Uh, RL, your thoughts on what you witnessed last night down in Atlanta. And you, I got it. Before you even begin, I got to mention, if you're just now joining us on Believe in Hill Hoops, RL has been on point for about three or four weeks pinpointing this very game as the game that could be trouble because of the, of the Tar Heels troubles in Atlanta that stretch back 40 years. So uh, you were right, sir. <laughs> you were I, pretty-
2: but but the Tar Heels had a chance to really build a, a big margin in the first half and just put them away and they couldn't do it. But they've had recent games where at halftime it's close or they're trailing. They've always been able to surge in the second half. But they just couldn't do it. Uh, yesterday and uh, you know the worst shooting from the line and the field all season and they still only lost by a point and frankly uh, R.J. Davis was uh, was fouled on that last play and uh, that would have put the best free throw shooter in program history at the line and probably be able to win but you you know the, the point is they should have been there
0: right and that's where I kind of come back to because on one hand, I'm like, yeah, that was a foul. Uh, and I've seen people go, Well, they were at Georgia Tech, the home team's gonna get that call, yada yada, yada, and that part of the game. I'm like, yeah, they get that call when they're not calling it throughout the game. Like they were calling that foul throughout the game, and then for whatever reason they didn't call it that that point right there. But to RL's point, it shouldn't even been it shouldn't even been decided on that that play. It's like, so I can't even use that as the reason why Carolina lost. They lost because they couldn't hit free throws and they lost because they shot 26% from three. Um, that's pretty much the gist of the game, especially the free throws. If they just hit 60% on their free throws, they win by five. I mean, it just, it, it's so crazy the margins of victory uh, for some of these teams where I've actually left the game feeling good. Um, it's weird because like the past couple of years when Carolina would lose, it was almost like despondent. Like, oh, what are we going to do to fix this? This was more like, we played like probably our worst we've played all year and we lost by a point on a last second wild left-handed layup and then a, and a missed foul call at the end. And to be honest, the dude traveled, <laughs> the dude traveled on the layup on top of it. He took three steps. So all that had to happen. Plus us shooting just horrifically from the free throw line, which we rarely do. Plus we shot four of them three, at which we rarely do this year. All that had to happen for us to lose by one to a team that's beaten Duke who a team has beaten Mississippi State. I think they've beaten Clemson, if I'm not mistaken. They've got some wins. Georgia Tech is a weird team. <laughs> They're a very weird team. They play up to their competition. And uh, I thought we were going to be in trouble um, when we came out of halftime. And we talked about this before, RL, where this year's team feels different, where when they come out of the half, they kind of punch the gas and go. They'll hit like with an 8 nothing run, 12 nothing run right out the gate, and the other team's kind of punch drunk. They didn't they couldn't do that this time because Georgia Tech came out and actually started throwing some haymakers at the very beginning. And it was almost like right then North Carolina, oh, we're in a fight. And like the rest of the second half was just them kind of clawing to to get ahead. And they used all their energy to try to get ahead. And dude just hit a shot. Like, I can't be mad at Georgia Tech for that. I mean, they they played, they played very, very well and, and got a win. I don't know if they're gonna they'd have to win out <laughs> to get to the NCAA tournament at this point because they lost so many before, but I don't know. It just—it was one of those games. I had Arl's voice in my head while I was watching the second half. It's like they're in Atlanta. This could they're in Atlanta? <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit, guys, about anything that anything that you saw in the game Tuesday night that makes you worried going forward into Saturday night that might carry over, or do you think that's a one-off type of thing that you saw that bothered you on Tuesday, Pete?
1: I'd like to touch on, um, you know, uh, I'm not concerned. Uh, I believe we have an extremely talented team and we have so many different options. Uh, but I would like to see a little bit more consistency. And I've been a, one of his biggest defenders in, in Armando Baycott. Uh, but last night was the first time I noticed. Now, I don't usually watch interactions on the sideline, but I noticed Coach Davis was was a little upset with him when he took him out uh, there in the game. I think that was in the uh, in the first half. And I, I'm, I don't know what it was what it was really about, other than maybe some effort on some of those rebounds. Um, I'm a, his biggest defender in the sense that I don't believe he has to score 20 and 10 for us this year. Um, I, I think he can be pretty much a, a little bit below those numbers with what we have around him now. But I think there may be something going on that I'm not privy to as far as, uh, as of that dynamic uh, that I saw last night. Coach Davis was mad at him. And it may have been just a, a moment thing where he didn't go hard on one Two, one or two plays and, and coach took him out. But that, that would be a little concerning because I, I really think he needs to be on the court. I and mean, I think he provides a, a presence, as you notice, even when he's not scoring, they double him a lot, which is, is good for us. Um, and beyond that, like I would like to see just a little bit more consistency um, on, on guys that they can, they can shoot knocking down some of those open shots. Because um, I, I, I'm a big believer this year that we're not forcing a lot of shots. I think we're getting a lot of good open shots. And uh, I think early on, um, Harrison knocking a bunch of those down, and he's still shooting above forty percent. Uh, by no means is he doing poorly, but we're getting a lot of open shots. Him, like, guys like him and, and uh, Cormac Ryan got to take advantage of those situations because we don't we don't have we haven't had a history of shooters like that that can knock them down to about a forty percent clip or a little below. Um, and I know they can do it, so um, I'm not concerned. But uh, that's going to be a big part of our success, um, how, de- uh, determining how far we can go this year.
2: I'd, I'd like to see more consistent shooting from Cormac. He he's been a streaky shooter throughout his career, but he, if he can be consistent, that'll be huge for Carolina. And and to Pete's point, you notice in the second half, uh, Jalen Washington uh, was in there for about five minutes, and Armando was sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. And and that was an extended period. And uh, Hubert was asked about it after the game. He just said he he thought he thought uh. Jalen deserved the minutes, and that may speak to to what you were talking about there. Uh, his offense, and he had five points in two consecutive games before last night. But you know, his defense has been solid the last three games though that, that that's been fairly consistent.
0: And you know, I'm starting to see this narrative with some uh, Carolina fans online. First of all, social media is the devil, so you can really take it with a grain of salt. But I'm seeing a lot of folks basically saying that Armando's playing soft this year. And that he's not doing as much or whatnot. And whenever I see it, I'm like, he doesn't have to. Like, I'd much rather Armando be this version of Mondo, and we're on top of the ACC and, you know, having 10-game win streaks and all that instead of him having to score, you know, 25 points a game and 12 rebounds and can't get hurt and can't come out. <laughs> and and then we might win. Like, that's what we just went through the past two years. So um, part of it's the growth of Jalen Washington. Um who truly is, in my opinion, more of a Hubert guy. Like, he's one of the first recruits that Hubert brought in, like, underneath Hubert. So, like, and and he believes in Jalen. Like, he was hurt in high school. He still took a chance on him. So, like, they've waited it out. And I think, to be honest, Jalen's going to be a problem uh, by next year or so um, when Armando's not here. I think his eligibility's out after this year. So, when, <laughs> when, when he does go and Jalen's here next year, um, I think that he'll be the start and center. Uh, of course, you've got Drake Powell coming in and uh, that that incredible freshman class he's got coming too. But I see that. I just see that narrative and I just kind of shake my head. Like, there's certain things Armando's doing that's not on the stats sheet, like that, that will never be on the stats sheet in terms of defensively and setting picks for RJ. That last play that they had last night, I thought was brilliant. I thought it was perfect. It was the perfect play to run. You got it into your two leaders' hands, Armando to RJ, and he just missed the floater. I mean, it happens, you know? So. I can't really be mad at what happened last night. If anything, I noticed my Duke friends, they chirped a little bit online right after the game was over because they, they know we chirped after they lost to Georgia tech too, but it's been kind of crickets today. And I kind of expected it a little bit more. And then I realized they're like, Oh, they realized we just lost going into the Duke game. And when you lose going into that game, it feels like that team has another, like an edge to them. Pete, can you talk to that? Cause you've been in these games before and I want to bring up the, um, to me the 1989 ACC conference championship is mm-hmm. the beginning of what we know of UNC Duke today. Like there, it's always been Carolina versus somebody for as long as the ACC has existed, Carolina state, Carolina, Maryland, Carolina, Virginia. Like it's always been somebody, but it, it was, it, I think the perception that it's always been Carolina Duke, that didn't really, the way we know it today, that didn't really start till like the late eighties when coach K kind of got it rolling over there. And then the 89 championship game that you played in, uh, Really kind of set it off. Carolina won that game. There was a lot of blood spilled in that uh <laughs> in that game. What's it like? What's it first? What's it like going into a Duke Carolina game? And what's it like going into one where there's like something on the line, like an ACC title, a final four, uh, you know, seating? Like it just adds another layer to it. What are you as a player like doing like over the course of that day to prep yourself for that game?
1: Well, first of all, just going back to that one game, that was the probably to this day the most intense game I've been a part of, uh, from from start to finish, until Danny Ferry missed that like seventy-five foot heave that went off the back of the rim. Yeah, we didn't secure it, but that that was yeah very intense, and it was a bloodbath. Um, but, you know i've I've always said and I've and everyone asks me all the time and they they always ask me and they're kind of surprised they think it's it's tough for anybody to go into play in Cameron or, or something like that and I'm I'm always of the notion and I think everyone on our team was always like we wanted to go into Cameron I love being in there and not being able to hear anything but a buzz in my ear and just being part of that game when you're out there in and, and so involved in it that you don't even notice the noise um those those are some of the funnest games I've played and of course not only at Duke but wherever you're on the road um, If you're a competitor and an athlete, that's something that does nothing but help you play, in my mind, anyways. um, I think that uh, as a younger player, being part of that rivalry is a little intimidating when when you're not getting the bigger minutes, when you're maybe coming in and getting five minutes here and, and six minutes here. Like I was obviously one of those players who developed over my career and didn't get to play the bigger minutes to maybe my last two years. So when I come in and Duke and would play six or seven minutes, I, it is a little intimidating, just because you know you are on a spot and it's a big game and you have to kind of perform, and you're not going to get you know a lot of minutes to do that. Um, but I tell you what, uh, getting ready for for the Duke game at, at home, but even more so on the road, was always something that uh, didn't take really anything to, to get ready for, it as far as uh, motivation. Uh, some some of the some of the most favorite memories is go are going into Cameron. As an underdog and winning by 20 points, I think we did that one of one of those you know late 80 years, 88 or 89, with uh with King Rice hitting some clutch free throws down in down the stretch. Um, It's just something that uh, it calls a rivalry game that. Go ahead. What was that, RL?
2: I said that hasn't happened lately. 20 point (laughs) games. Either (laughs) way.
1: Well, and that's the thing we talk about the rivalry and uh and I don't know if we're gonna get to this later, but it it is undoubtedly. in my mind, one, one of the best robberies, mainly because of what we're talking about. Like, I think it, these games are always pretty much neck and neck. Um, and you can, you can, we can talk about that in a second, but I, I just love, I love getting over there to Cameron or anybody anywhere where there's a, um, any hint of, of an emotional game as a competitor. You, you really get up for those.
0: Answer, answer this question for me, because it feels like it's two different types of robberies at this point. Who, now this is a different time. Back Back when you were at Carolina, who did you guys consider your most hated rival? Was it Duke or was it NC State?
1: Well, I, I can only speak for myself. Um, I've never felt remotely the same about NC State than I have about Duke uh, as a player. Um, <laughs> and, even, and even now, as a as a 25, 30-year-old vet out of the, out of the ACC, I have, I have no problem with anybody from NC State. But like, to this day, Duke is just something like, like I, I have to cringe when I say to t- tell somebody that I played with Bobby Hurley in Sacramento and he was like a nice guy. Like I, I don't really volunteer that because literally there's no one from Duke that I will ever admit that I like. Um And, and I know that there are good people over there. Um I know coach K is a, is a great coach and, and well-respected. He, he's been through my house in Alabama recruiting me. I, I saw him in the early eighties before he got going, but it is, when you, when you talk about programs and compare programs, I draw the line and say it, it, they're, they're different programs. And and, in my mind, I was part of the best one.
0: Pete, Pete Chilcutt joining us here on the Believe in Hills Hoops podcast presented by uh, Believe Podcast Networks. Uh, You actually played with Hubert Davis. Um, Your, your careers overlapped. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second in terms of Hubert, the man, Hubert, the player, any funny stories you got with Hubert. Um, Arlen, anything you got for, uh, for Pete while we got him?
2: one of the things I wanted to ask, you know, at the, at the, at the end there, uh, when, uh, when R.J. Davis was guarding Nathan George, but because of the switching, and, you know, with, with Roy Williams, you always fought through the screen, and under Roy, R.J. would have fought through the screen, but instead uh, there was the switch, and Armando was on him, and, you know, he, he's a little quicker, so he kind of went by Armando, he had to make a tough shot, a really tough shot, high archer to bank it in. But uh, just in general, what what's your feeling of uh, on the switching this year and uh, how do you think it's going?
1: Well, it's funny you actually bring that play up because um, I made a comment, I think off the air to Jones, that, that they had run that top pick and roll 900 times last night. Um, we knew it was coming. Um, and if you know it's coming – uh, you knew they're going to run that play in in a key stretch there because they wanted to switch, and, and I w- I would have done the same thing. Um, I I I think that should have been, and I'm not in any means double double you know questioning the coach. I'm not a coach. I've never coached, but I would like to have seen them on that one play say, "Hey, stay with them. Hey, stay with them. Uh, don't switch on this one. Go under. Go over. They're not going to shoot a jump shot right there. So maybe go under that screen. Just just stay between him and the basket." But as to your point, B, uh, um, Armando did a great job. Pretty good keeping him, you know, a, a really close to the rim. It was a very tough shot. Um, I thought he might have a chance to block it, or it, he did bother it. It was a great shot. But I, I did think about that after the fact that that would have been a good time maybe to kind of stop the switching just for that one play. I think we all knew that was coming. Um, They've been running that a lot, but um, it didn't work out that way. Um, tough shot. They won. We didn't get the call, and we move on. And, ten, then, and then
2: also, also some of the switching uh, is just one, three, four. So there right. have been times when that switch would not have been made. True. True. That's and, what I was
0: going to say. Yeah. So when they, when they got that switch and got it on Armando, I was like, okay, this is what they wanted, but to Armando's defense, for the most part, that's worked out. Okay. <laughs> Whenever they've switched like that this season so far, that's really the one few times it's happened where it kind of backfired on us. And again, it took a, a travel and a wild <laughs> left-handed layup and, just all kinds of stuff happened at the end of this game for it to happen. So for me, it makes me feel better going into Saturday that, okay, we needed this, 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 and this to happen for us to lose by one on the road to Georgia Tech, who's already beaten Duke and these other teams. Uh, so they've already proven they can do it. Um, it. I didn't go my game feeling like Carolina still wasn't the best NACC to date or that uh, being at home we're undefeated at home. I feel, I, honestly, I, this is one of the few years where Duke Carolina coming up, and it's strange because they're both going to be ranked in the top 10 for the first time, what is it, Arlo, like in four or five, five or six years, something
2: like that? Like, well, I don't know exactly. Yeah, I can't
0: remember the year. Uh, but it's going to be the first time they're both in the top uh, 10 against each other. And for me, it's going to be one of the first times where I'm not really worried going into the game. Like, I, I know what we can do. And I've seen us play against enough top competition where I'm like, if we just do what we do. We're at that point where if we do what we do, it don't really matter who we're playing. Like we're gonna we're gonna score 85 points, we're gonna play defense, we're gonna rebound, we're gonna hit threes. You can't defend all of it. So it's it's one of those things where can Duke match us as opposed to us having to come and match in matching Duke, which I feel like we've been having to do the past four or five years. We had to go in and match Duke's intensity with limited soldiers. Now I feel like we're coming in with a full army. We know what we're gonna do. Can you stop us? And that's a little different from what Duke is used to. Um, Pete. Who's your most hated Duke Blue Devil? Who do you hate the most? Ah, uh, <laughs> most friends here, so you can, you know,
1: whoever. You no, one, no one's in this, right? Okay, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of history
0: clipped later for social media. So, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I did, I took one of my official visits to Duke. Um, wh- I went on around the campus with Quinn Snyder and Danny Ferry. Uh, and again, Coach K came to my house, really nice guy. Um, I'll can I tell you first my two, maybe two or three that I do like?
0: Yeah, that's why. That's fair.
1: <laughs> I'll start with Quinn Snyder was really nice. Um, Al-Law was a pretty nice guy. Uh, met him a, a bunch of times. Played with Bobby Hurley. I hate to admit it. Played with Bobby Hurley and sack right before his accident. Actually, you know, during that whole time frame. He was really a great guy. Um, and I've seen oh, him. Oh, no. No, i not tell sure. us that. Let me, let, me, let me quantify. He was a great teammate. Okay, there you go. <laughs> now, now guys who I have grown to just dislike um, over time, and even though we took him on a visit around here, I think everyone would agree that no one really likes Christian Leitner. Um, I think Hubert broke the mold. Hubert played with him in like in Dallas and and you know, I heard him like call him, hey Chris, what's up? This I mean, come on. Oh you
2: know,
0: no. <laughs>
1: No, he's talked about being good friends with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was Oh
0: no, he over what are you doing?
1: You know, deep down, these guys are probably decent people, but they do have that flaw. Um, (laughs) So, um, but probably, I would probably say that uh, over time, it's it's gone between Danny Ferry and Christian Leitner. I I
0: feel that for sure. And you know, to me, it's funny because I'm a lifelong Carolina fan. I grew up in a Carolina household. My dad painted my house Carolina blue when I was like 10 years old, and it's still blue to this day. Um, It doesn't feel the same as those. Rivalries back then, but especially the late 80s, early 90s heels, uh blue devil matchups where you've got you know, you and Hubert and Rick Fox and J.R. Reed and King Rice running around against Danny Ferry and Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley and uh all those guys. You you grew to hate the players because they were there so long, like they were three four-year guys. So you grew a hatred for them, like you learned about them freshman year, you began to hate them sophomore year, and if it was late, and if it was latener, you were full-blown just like, ah, <laughs> by the time you got this junior year. So it was like it's different now where the last Duke guy I can remember player that I had that kind of hatred for was J.J. Reddick, I think. He might be the last one because he's the last one I could think of that was there four years. No, 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 no. Not J.J. Reddick. Grayson Allen. Yeah. It took me a minute, but it came. Yeah, the last thing. like, Allen, he's the last and he was a four year guy, too. And he kind of what,
2: what, 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 what I remember interviewing Grayson Allen at the ACC tournament in the dressing room and coming away thinking he's a nice guy and thinking, wow, he's, he's nothing like he is on the court. So, you know, like, like Pete says, some of these some of these people he might hate on the court are not bad guys off the court
1: see yeah that's a solid point though i think i think everything is is changing with 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 how it is today as far as the um as a fan base you really need someone to hate and and it it, we're we're, we find ourselves hating the school now as opposed to individual players and because they're really not there the the good ones that you really want to hate they leave Uh, and so i i don't think it's the same i don't think it's probably nearly as intense um the the physical battles between these players are going to be Every year, because it's different players, um, you're gonna have you're gonna have teams that are kind of wildly fluctuating on their talent level. Um, it seems like we've been lately, uh, uh, probably for a, a decade or more, having having not having the quality of the the top, you know, five star athletes coming through here that they've had, and I think we've done extremely well against that. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it's just what it is. But I think it's definitely a different mindset now, as far as how you how you want to focus your hate.
0: I think for me, it's shifted more from the Duke players and Coach K, because for a while when he was doing the one and dones, it shifted to him. <laughs> it was like, you're the reason why we don't like you're the you're the creation of all this. But now with him gone uh, and everything with the portal and everything else going on, it's kind of hard to hate the, the play. It's kind of hard to keep track of the roster over at Duke sometimes because we got so many parts coming in and out. It mine has shifted to the fan base the Duke fan base there that's where it is now, where it's like the UNC fan base versus the Carolina fan base. Cause you hear these stories of the players, you know, they see each other They're eight miles apart from each other. They see each other out to eat barbershops. Like they, they know each other, like they've played the same circuits together for, you know, the past five, six, seven years. So it's not really weird for the players. And that's kind of my question, the intensity level. Now I know once the game starts, it'll, it'll pick itself up, but I got to think that back then, The intensity level was different because you knew who you were playing against. It was the same dudes you played against the year before or two years ago. And like, this is just another chapter in the battle. Whereas I saw that people were saying, well, Carolina is a veteran team this year. They shouldn't have fell into this trap game or whatnot. I don't think they thought it was a trap game. And people kind of forget there's only four guys on this team that have played Duke in a Carolina jersey. It's one thing to play them as a Boston College player (laughs) and go play at Duke. It's a whole other world to play him in a Carolina uniform and go over there and play or them come over here. So the Cormac Ryan's and uh you know the Harrison Ingrams, I think Cormac Ryan's like 24, 25. He's played against Duke. Before. He's 25. He's played against Duke before he's a grown man. He's never played him in a Carolina situation. Like he's never been in that atmosphere. Um, do you believe in trap games? Do you think that they were looking at Duke beforehand before they went to this Georgia Tech game? Or do you think Georgia Tech just played a better game?
1: I think I think trap games are real. Uh, I don't think we fell into that trap. I think we were we're too veteran, like you mentioned. We have too many vets on this team that have been around too many games. I think if you have a younger team, we had you know mainly freshmen and sophomores that were getting these minutes, that might be a problem. Um, I didn't feel last night in the arena um, that we were taking anything for granted, or you know that we thought we were going to coast through this game. I just thought we had a we laid an egg. Um, nothing to do with that, but yeah, I, I believe that's a real thing though.
2: I think RLV. Atlanta was the thing.
0: Yeah, and that again, it, it just something about Atlanta. We have issues in Atlanta. And I saw the series record. Carolina leads the series like seventy to thirty or something like that, like they do for most of these teams that they play against this season. This
2: this season, Carolina is seventeen and two outside of Atlanta, zero and two <laughs> in Atlanta. And Brian Ives at ESPN came up with in the last thirty men's basketball and football games, Carolina and Atlanta is ten and twenty.
0: Wow, that's insane. And then, and,
2: and there's 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 history. I mean, you go back to losing the 1977 Final Four and losing in the championship game to Marquette, and then 1984, a Michael Jordan led team lost in the Sweet Sixteen to Indiana. and you yeah. the So there's there's a lot of uh, Carolina hurt that's happened in Atlanta.
1: There was a lot of uh, Carolina guys there in the fans last night. Um, it
2: looked like half the stands were Carolina
1: and maybe, blue. Yeah, they they were they were big. B- big, big uh, part of the crowd last night.
0: I've uh, got some. Uh, since we are live and I forgot to mention it, when we are on, we are live and we do take questions from the uh, the, the, gallery watching on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, wherever you might be catching this. Um, 828 Lawson says, Got to be more Chris Saturday. Uh, Bradley Lovelace says, Should we be concerned about our offensive efficiency at this point? We're 90 plus, according to Ken Pom. Thoughts on that, guys? I don't, I'm not really worried about the offense. Like,
1: uh, I talked to Coach Lebo in the lobby before the game. So this was before the game. Uh, and, and he, we were talking about defense and defense this and how solid we've been defensively. And he made the comments, which which kind of came true during the game, that we have not really hit our stride offensively. Um, and, and that, that was going to come at some point. And that was that was when this team would really take off.
2: Right. I mean, it's it's defense. I mean, there, there are a couple of games this season, Pittsburgh is one of them, where they would have been in a massive hole uh, early in the game if the defense wasn't playing well so uh, you yeah, know holding most of the teams under 70 points uh in in the uh, ACC games uh that you should they should be able to win consistently if they're able to do that uh, and uh, you know Cadeau starts making the jumpers and uh and uh, cormac Ryan could be more consistent that that offense could really take off and if the defense stays as good as it has been, and the rebounding stays as consistently as it has been, and that was good last night too, yeah. um, you know, they 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 should go deep into
1: March. We haven't even talked about how uh, Elliot can, how anyone can foul out in eight minutes.
0: I mean well, what is, what was that about? <laughs> like what happened? <laughs>
1: I think number 4 was was him being a little bit over aggressive uh and that was a bad foul. But I the other the other four could have gone given no call at all. Um
0: that's why I was mad at the la- the last no call cuz I'm like Elliot Cadeau just had like three ghost foul calls <laughs> in like 2 minutes or whatever and then you didn't call this like
2: how about comparing the amount of contact Ebenezer Duwana made on R.J. Davis to the total amount of contact in, in uh, Elliot's five fouls? Yeah. yeah.
0: That, and honestly, if Cadeau was out there for that last little stretch, he'd probably win that game, to be honest. Um, so, so see, I'm not really too worried about it. Uh, but, of course, it's Duke Carolina. It, it always delivers, like Jay Bilas would say. And uh, I don't expect to – you know, I've been joking around. Carolina's going to win by 11 because we lost and blah, blah, blah. I don't expect that. Like it's Carolina Duke. It's going to be a two, three point, four point game. It's been that way, even when one side's been down, and the other one's up. Uh, they just, I, I like to say that Carolina and Duke are spotters for each other at the gym pretty much. Like they both could be fine on their own, but they are better when the other one is good too, because the other one has to kind of keep up with them. And that's the dynamic we don't have in NC State or with Wake Forest or any of these other schools. So, uh, Wayne Carter checking in. What's up, Wayne? Uh, he says, Who's going to guard who on Saturday? Um, well, we just talked about it. Carolina switches on everything, uh, now, which they used to not do. So that may not matter. Um, what is there a matchup that you're looking at going into Saturday that's going to be a key matchup?
2: I wonder who's going to be uh, guarding Phil Palski. He's going to be a matchup problem. I'm wondering if uh, Ingram, Ingram might be yeah. getting some of the time there instead of Mondo and, uh, Proctor, I I wonder who's gonna be hard
0: to uh, maybe uh, that's a good question <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that's a great question because would I, you kick a dough on I, I don't uh.
1: I, I think we, you you hit on it with all the switching it seems like uh everyone's gonna be all over the place um I have pretty uh, I have a lot of I think Baycott can guard uh Plipowski. I really do I think especially the way he's been playing defense um he's really catching catching shooting those open shots he's but he's doing a lot of driving uh i think baycock can handle his drives you got to make sure just obviously stay out of trouble trouble on those but uh i think the the bigger thing is going to be can we can we get to our rotations when we're switching can we you know they got some bigger guards can we help out on those i think if we've been kind of how we are and and as you mentioned harrison england can guard anybody on the court you got guys coming off the bench that can do that with seth and uh and Jalen. I just love this team's diversity with uh, on defense especially.
0: Uh, Wayne comes back with uh, Ingram on Mitchell. That Actually, that sounds about right. He'll probably a little off on it, or, or Cormac might be on Mitchell for a little bit. I'm not mad at uh, – I assume Cormac Ryan is still in the starting lineup instead of Jalen Winters at this point oh, because sure. of his defense and the other things he's doing because Cormac has been extremely streaky like all year. Um, he might have a stretch where he hits two three threes in a row in like a two-minute period and he might go over five like after that but Hubert's a shooter so he's kind of living or dying with it and it hadn't really killed them to this point and Cormac does other things where I kind of expected Winters by this point to maybe have surpassed him and he hadn't and actually it didn't feel like he played a whole lot last night did he did he, he, played, he played a couple minutes Winters right last night I thought that was kind of
1: well yeah uh, I, I like what he brings, but I think he is that I think he's a, a very effective off the bench, bringing that energy and so, so diverse off the bench, what he can do defensively with the rebounding, um, uh, defense, things like that. So we'll see.
0: So, uh, former uh, Carolina big man, Pete Chilcutt, joining us here on the Believe and Heal Shoops podcast, presented by Believe Podcast Networks. I do this every week, RL. I keep reading to, uh, read the read. I'm supposed to read the read in the first two minutes, and we're 34 minutes into the, uh, <laughs> into the show believe I got you covered though with the NFL playoffs here and the NBA season in full swing bet online has you covered with all the up to the second odds news and scores with additional odds lines and trends and info on both desktop and mobile you can access the world's best wagering information anytime head there today to get into the action to see all the updated odds remember to use the promo code believe BLEAV to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts and we'll get into um Real quick, uh, I wanted to take advantage while we had Pete here. Pete, you were a former teammate of uh, current head coach Hubert Davis. Any um, any stories you can tell us without getting in trouble uh, about college days with uh, with Hubert? Because we are we hear more and more about him uh, now each day. We're like, I didn't realize, okay, he doesn't cuss. I knew he was really religious. Um, the whole thing with Harrison last week where he, he was saying he substitutes the word fart for crosswords yeah. and some things like that. Was he yeah, like that when you guys were in school or –
1: Well, it's funny. I'm assuming people have heard this story, but so I'll go through it a little bit quickly. But uh, regarding the the fart word, uh, he he doesn't cuss. And that's going back to high school. I mean, I'm sorry, college. Um, Coach Smith uh, was a stickler for swearing. Um, If you cuss in a practice, blow the whistle, the entire team on the line for a six crossing sprint in 30 seconds. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, and so uh, you could, safe to say, no one cussed in practice. And I always, you know, to step away for a second, Coach K's practices were probably not the same. Um, <laughs> probably not.
0: Probably not. <laughs> I think <laughs> two fans would agree with that.
1: <laughs> we're, we're in practice one day, and Hubert makes a play, maybe throws that out of bounds, maybe gets scored on. And he goes, and it's, you know, typical Hubert with this little poopy hairdo. He goes, he goes, fart, you know, as as, as intensely as he could. And Coach Smith blew the whistle. He goes, "All right, everyone on the line." <laughs> he, goes, he goes, "For you, that's a cuss word." And and, and what, what? But if you think about it, the, the rule was not necessarily that he didn't like swearing. He thought swearing was getting you out of your game. You're losing your 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 mental edge, and that's what it was all about with him. And, and if you really think about that, that's pretty an amazing story that he made him run, but not because it was a cuss word necessarily, but because like you're losing your cool. You can't lose your cool on the court. You gotta yeah. see and be locked in and I thought that was it was funny at the time and it's still a funny story to tell but it's a great insight into coach smith's mind and how we thought about things um the only other thing I'd say about living with Hubert was um uh he was very uh very religious man um we used to go out quite a bit back in those days we had some partiers on the team you know with Steve Bucknall and J.R. Reed and Marty Hensley those guys have have been in a few bars I, I <laughs> I was usually at the library, so I never went. But oh. <laughs> uh, Hubert, Hubert was always Hubert. What are you doing tonight? And he's like, oh, I'm taking so and so to the ice an ice cream social, and he was serious. He'd go out and do these ice cream socials, and uh, we used to give him a hard time But that. He 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 is he was a man who stuck to his values um, even back then, um, and and you can respect that for a college age kid. That uh, is very very impressive. Um, he was a fun guy, a great guy to live with. I lived with him, and Justin Corral was who was our head manager. Um, and then I, I was happy enough to get out of that that apartment out there in Highland Hills in Carborough because uh, Kevin Kevin Salvadori moved in after I left, and I was like, that means I'm clear of the damages. And I, <laughs> I, I, I lived there I for three years. I lived there for three years. Anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. now on,
2: on, on Coach Davis's radio show on Monday. He talked about how he can't really give players a hard time for talking to to the opponent during the game because he said he was a talker a lot. Do you remember him talking a lot to the opponent? Hmm. In the game? Well, that's
1: good. You no, know, you know, I don't remember him talking to opponents. I know he used to get mad at me a couple of times where I'd be guarding. I switch off on him in practice, and he'd do like one of those quick little guard moves. He'd go right and spin left, and I'd be standing right there, and I take a charge, and he's like. You're so slow, you never moved in the first place. <laughs> you know, like oh, our ball. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Mission accomplished.
1: He <laughs> wasn't, wasn't wrong. So that, yeah, he was you know, the thing about Hubert, which if you if you guys have not been to a practice, um, the thing about Hubert that I love is he gets this he gets a rap almost for being too nice. And um that guy you don't play 12 years in the league you don't make you don't go from nothing from no chance to making it in the league and playing at carolina without being a fiery competitor and if you go to one of those practices you're going to see a different side of him that you probably didn't know existed uh he's doing everything besides the cussing that goes along with it he's he's getting into the guys he's yelling he's he's not happy um he, he's a fiery coach and you don't see that a lot um, in the games and, and his personality is so good that you think he's this nice guy that's too nice on the guys, but he's, he's a tough coach. And I think the players buy into that because they see this passion and, and they uh, they're, they're really responding this year to how he's coaching. He's been talking about defense and rebounding every year. Yeah, people are acting like, "Oh, now he's doing a better job." Well, he's been doing he's been doing the same thing. I think the guys are really just buying into it this year, especially with the new guys. Um, It's it's been great to see, but it's kind of funny how think people think coaches all of a sudden are changing something. Uh, I think he's been preaching that same message.
0: Well, he's got you know it's his players. Finally, you know the first two years he was coaching, he was basically kind of coaching the remnants of Roy's last couple of recruiting classes. And let's be honest, guys, the last one or two they weren't that good. So it, it wasn't like the cupboard was full. Uh, when Roy left and then add in one and dones like Cole Anthony and uh you know, you, you don't have a whole lot there. So I saw a lot of people complaining about uh Dontre styles. Why didn't they try to keep him and some of the other guys who were here before they just didn't fit what he was going to do. I think it's pretty clear at this point because he's going these, I mean, he's playing all the way down to Zayton high. He's going about 10, 11 deep in this roster sometimes on some nights. And uh I've said, and now maybe you can say, maybe you can clear this up. So I won't say it anymore, Pete, because you actually played for the man. I've I've said that Hubert went out and built a Dean Smith roster out of the portal like he literally went one through 12 and like if you look at a Dean Smith roster he would have specific players that did specific things at specific spots every year the the fast point guard the 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 power forward that's like the J.R. Reed James worthy type who in my opinion is Harrison Ingram on this team Your big man that can get a bucket in the paint got the first guy off the bench, that first point guard off the bench. He went out and got all that and added to what he had. Does this team remind you of Dean Smith teams you played on in the past, or am That's, I just crazy? Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. That's a great point. Um, it's different and only in the sense that, that Coach Smith was had that that pre- he uh, preminister idea of seeing what was going to develop down the road. He had to kind of cultivate me, for example, who sucked as a freshman to get to where I was. But he saw he saw that in me and he sees out he saw that in his recruits. Hubert has the benefit of kind of seeing guys who have done some things already. So he kind of knows more what he's going to get. And he gets to kind of, I wouldn't say hand pick them, but you know, it probably is is closer to that than it is recruiting them. I think some of these guys were, were happy to come to Carolina. Um, I think uh, this team is is extremely similar to some of the teams I was on, mainly because it, the, the deepness in eight or nine guys, and, and I've said this, uh, I think six or seven guys could lead us in scoring on any given night. Now, it hasn't really happened that way, um, but we got guys on here who are really good and re- we're really deep, and that is, is a trademark of Coach Smith's teams where guys that are that are seventh guys on a team – you know, you don't really see a drop off when they come in, and and that's impressive. Um, I, I think that that when we get to that style, you 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 see more coaching flexibility. He can do a lot more things. Um, some of the substitutions that, that he couldn't make a couple of years ago, he can do now, and, and he can do do so without worrying about the ramifications. Um, and I, I think that's not, nothing. That's I, I, I'm 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 thinking this is not a one year thing. This is how he wants to be. Um, and like you said, the first two years was just hard to get there. And now he's able to. You La- like, to
2: trust the bench a lot more this season than he exactly. did last season.
0: Yeah. Cause I was going to say, last year, that whole situation you guys were talking about at the beginning of the show with Baycott, him pulling him out and having uh, Washington come in for five or six minutes. He couldn't do that <laughs> last year. You couldn't take Baycott out just because you were mad at him. Like he had to stay in there and you had to stew from the sideline and hope he got it together during the game, um, which a lot of times he did. But now he has the ability to be able to pull him out, make Armando think about it, and then put him back in the game. Um, which is which is different. And and I uh, will say this too. Uh for those who are gonna come on at me social. Is this in a Dean Smith roster, blah blah blah? This, this there are variations to what Dean had going on. Just like Roy took what Dean had and altered it to what he wanted. Roy's offense had two running big men on it at the same time, at all times. The, whoever came off the bench was the third big man that was gonna run the Tony Woods whoever that was gonna run with the Tyler Zellers of the world and uh the Bryce Johnsons of the world. With Hubert, his offense is different than Dean's because he's running two point guards. he said he said himself he fell in love with during the 2015-16 season when uh marcus page and joel berry were running point for uh for roy and he was on the staff and he fell in love with the idea and wanted to implement it and that's what he has now with uh rj davis running the point sometimes you got cadeau starting running the point and Seth Trimble coming off the bench running point so you've got those three so he's it's the same variation same tree but everything else i love that he's peppered in and i love the fact he went out and found somebody like harrison ingram like I think to me that's what Carolina basketball's been missing for a while. That that kind of the utility guy, the guy that can he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Like he can shoot threes, he can rebound, he can post up, which I love because I'm old school. I like back to the basket basketball. And he he will take a guy down there. Um and he'll get you a bucket if you need a bucket. He he does the little things. And we haven't had a guy like that. <sighs> it's maybe Theo Penson, uh his first name that came to my mind that that did a little bit of everything. But he does it better. <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm really impressed with Harrison. Not worried about the, the loss last night. If anything, I think it'll keep them more focused for Saturday. Uh, before we get out of here, let's talk about Saturday. Uh, Duke, Carolina, uh, there's a lot more at stake here than before the day started yesterday because now if Duke wins this game, there'll be a tie for first top the ACC regular season going into the second half of it. Uh, Carolina's undefeated at home uh, this season thoughts on this game uh anything in particular that worries you about this game how do you think this game is going to play out are you willing to make a prediction on a wednesday <laughs> rivalry week or uh how are you feeling going into this game guys
1: i think how how, how uh, ariel mentioned earlier if, if we just play how we've been playing i think we'll be fine i, I, I think we, we we deviate a bunch from that uh we could have some issues but we've been played solid. We kind of have established that we're a pretty good defensive team and rebounding team over the last 10 games or so. If we can continue that, uh, I think the shooting, the scoring will take care of itself. Uh, the only problem is going to happen if we somehow uh, forget how to defend and, and make some bonehead plays or get somebody in foul trouble um, and somebody can foul out in, in eight minutes or something, that might be a problem. Um, it's going to be tight. Like you mentioned, it's going to be a good game. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I'm 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 confident that if we play like we have been, we'll be we'll be fine. Yeah, I mean,
2: if, if, if they can limit uh Therese Proctor and uh and Filipowski, uh they'll they'll go a long way. But I'm telling you, watching Duke recently, their defense is they're really turning up their defense. So it's it's not gonna be easy to be productive offensively against those guys. It'll be important to space them out and and make a few perimeter shots and open things up inside for Mondo.
0: It's, it's weird that Duke seems like under the radar, don't they? Don't they seem like no one's really talking about them like they normally do? I mean, they're ranked seventh in the country, and they've only lost two games fully healthy from my understanding, and that was earlier in the year against Arizona and uh, Georgia Tech, I think. it was the. Well, no, I think they had somebody out. I think Mitchell was out and somebody else was out during the Georgia Tech game. There was somebody else, or uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. They lost to Arkansas on the road at Arkansas when they set like an attendance record or whatever uh, for that game. Um, And that was earlier in the year too. So it just feels like nobody's talking about Duke. Everybody's talking about the the rotation of teams in the top five or six that just keep rotating in and out like every week. It feels like two, three teams in the top five lose uh, every week. And we're one of them now (laughs) from this week. Although I don't know if that loss is really going to affect their standing um, in the the AP, to be honest. It depends on what happens Saturday. They, They end up beating Duke by five on Saturday they'll just stay at three or they might move up depending on what happens to Purdue or, uh, who's number one right now? I can't even keep track. Uh, UConn. UConn. Yeah. And we've lost to UConn. And actually that UConn game was the only game this year. I really felt like, yeah, they really just beat us. (laughs) Like there wasn't really, there, there wasn't really anything we could do. Like in the Georgia Zet game, there was things we could do and still win the game. They played well enough to win that UConn game. I was like, ah, we ain't ready for them yet. Like they're just, they're playing different than we are. Um, now, come March, if we see him again, that might be a different story. But um, anybody want to give a, a prediction for Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Pete cut joined us here. uh you would see big man play for Dean Smith, teammate of Hubert Davis. Um, hopefully we'll be able to add you to the host rotation Um have you come on throughout the season you can hear him on the tar hill uh radio network with jones angel you're in a rotation there
1: it's you uh joel berry joel berry's done, only doing a few he has a lot of tv stuff going on mark marcus, mm-hmm. marcus ginyard and, and tyler zeller
0: Tyler and, zeller and we've been I, talking all of them yeah so tyler hansborough's done a couple yeah. yeah hansborough's done a few uh so yeah it's, it's great that they're rotating the guys out and uh giving jones somebody to play with and uh, call these games and a lot of times i'll choose to go listen to the game on the radio i'll get in the car and drive around if it's a day game so i can hear it the radio call as opposed to uh whoever's calling it on tv so um definitely check that out the game is 6 30 p.m saturday on espn trust me espn will tell you about it from now until then so you won't forget <laughs> so it is the biggest game in college basketball it usually delivers every year um and we'll leave it on timothy Phelps saying unc has to play like nothing like nothing to lose everything to win I think they will because didn't we get swept by Duke last year? If I'm not mistaken. Yes, we did. So you got guys on this team that remember getting swept by Duke. There are at least four of them uh, that, that got swept by Duke last year. And it's not a, it's not a good feeling as a fan. Did you ever get swept by Duke in a year, Pete?
1: I want to say my sophomore year, we got swept by, I think it was actually in, in, in the tournament. It was a three, three, three. Uh, Ooh, it was like 88, 88, 88, 88.
0: 88. Yeah. Cause in 89, we won that, that ACC championship game. Um, yeah, like th- those years are never fun, <laughs> especially when you got to deal with the whole offseason and everybody's chirping and yada, yada, yada. But I do love the fact that Carolina Duke, it feels like it's kind of back. Um, as much as I dislike the Duke program in general, I'm very happy that they, they've got someone like John Shire running it because I feel like it's the same situation as us with Hubert. You got a former player. He understands the fabric of the team, what it's about. He understands this rivalry. Um, and I'm a big stickler of keeping – things like that intact uh, as you go through coach to coach and player to player, it's really hard to do. Um, and you've seen it fall apart. A lot of blue bloods really, but Carolina Duke still going strong here in 2024. So um, any last words for uh, the crew that's uh,
1: watching tonight guys? Nope. Just, just looking forward the, we, the rivalry is so great. And the best one in all the sports uh, for me, because it, it never really has took a downturn. You know, you mentioned some teams have been down, we're down, they're down, they're up, we're down. The games are always competitive. I think when they throw that stat up on ESPN about the point, the total points, that's always amazing to see yeah. that is so close after all these years. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be competitive. Um, I, I wish I was out there. I'll be down there as close as I can get to the floor, but uh, I'm looking forward to that battle.
2: I'm telling you, anybody who thinks it's a wine and cheese crowd, you go to uh, the Smith Center for the Duke game. Oh. That's the one game where every seat is filled uh, most of the crowd is standing for, mo- for the majority of the game. And it's just a crazy loud environment and just, uh you-, you can't get much better in college basketball. I
0: I do think it's the best sports rivalry for what Pete just said, because whenever, whenever I say it and people are like, well, no, what about this? Or what about that? Like Yankees, Celtics, Yankees, Red Sox, or uh the one I have up there, Lakers Celtics. I'm a, a huge Lakers fan. Um, Alabama Auburn, like that kind of the Iowa, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. Those are all considered rivalries, but usually they're one-sided. Like one side has won the majority of those games in those rivalries. And when the other side wins one, it's like a breakthrough, like, oh, this wasn't supposed to happen. And it's like a holiday for <laughs> for that side or whatever. Even Lakers Celtics, like the the if you look at the records between them, the Celtics own them like the 60s and the 70s, and even well, until the 80s, but th- they're still behind record-wise against the Lakers, but this rivalry here, it's like even <laughs> like pretty much all, all the way down. Like you said, Pete, the points, Uh I think like the number of fouls called like all, like all the random numbers. It's all so like, even between them, they both send kids to the league. They both have all Americans. They both win rings. They, they both are threats to go deep every year. Uh It just, nothing's better than it. I'm just happy to be a part of the rivalry Um, and just be like, you know, I understand it. I grew up in it. Like, you, you don't have to live in North carolina to understand it, but it helps <laughs> if you're here uh I honestly I seriously thought Pete that uh, the final four game was gonna be the end of it like we were gonna after it was over, the streets were gonna riot Walmarts were gonna get destroyed like because we just would not handle it <laughs> like and, and somehow we all it all worked out and I, I do have to admit after that game I didn't feel the same way about the rivalry for about a year uh, so like last year in particular, it just kind of it didn't feel exactly the same, but by the time the year was over, it, it already starts sinking back in. Like uh, I can't stand Duke. Like the Final Four doesn't even matter anymore. It was two years ago. So, um, so we'll we'll start it back up again Saturday, six thirty, uh, ESPN. We'll have everybody out there, uh, go do us a favor, rate and subscribe. Believe in Hills Hoops. You can do it um, either through the Believe Podcast Network, where you can get the audio versions of this each week. Uh, we usually come about once a week. We recap what's happened earlier in the week and we preview what's about to happen for Tar Heel Hoops. Um, Or you can go to the Tobacco Road Sports Radio YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, or over at Tar Heel Tribune. You can uh, subscribe there and catch the video format of this every week when it drops as well. And if we're live, again, you can come on, you can comment, uh, you can ask us questions like Wayne here. Uh, You can interact with us, which is something a little different than uh, what other pods are doing right now. So definitely Appreciate everybody that stopped by tonight to talk to us here. Uh, Pete, appreciate you coming through and uh, we'll definitely have you back on uh, the next couple of
1: weeks. Yeah, I appreciate the offer. And um, as long as I can fit in my schedule, I'd be happy to be here. RL, nice anything, you got,
0: anything you got before we go out here? RL? No. All right. Well, we'll hit it right there. Uh, you've been watching and listening to the Believe in Hills Hoop podcast here on Believe Podcast
1: Networks presented by presented by Pet Online. Uh, go Heels. Go Heels.